This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is a hundred percent Australian-owned and local. Phone one three one eight zero six. Congratulations! Victoria's housing market has rebounded strongly this year. Hammers were falling once again. Buy numbers per auction are actually up on last year. Rates, of course, on hold again at 0.25%. National house prices were still rising. A man's home is his castle, and today it goes under the hammer. Welcome to Under the Hammer for Red Energy. Moving house, call local energy retailer Red Energy. And it's fantastic to have you with us on a Tuesday this week due to the Queen's birthday long weekend. I'm Jane Neild and I am joined by Ben Reid and Claire Parks from Ian Reid Buyer and Vendor Advocates. Hello, guys. How are you? Hi, Jane. I'm well, thank you. Hi, Ben. Hey. So what was the vibe like? I think that's the only way to describe it. What was the vibe on the weekend? We've done this a couple of times. Wanting to know whether a long weekend affects the whole market, what you would usually expect. What what would a long weekend normally be at this time of year, uh, pre-COVID-19, Ben? Of a long weekend, we normally expect auction numbers to drop off significantly. At, at around this time, we'd normally be seeing six to 800 auctions week on week. And then on a long weekend, that would drop back to about 150 or, or 200 or less. Um, so having come off such a significant event like COVID-19 and the restrictions, we're actually now seeing... Um, almost a counter-cyclical um, process that's going on with the marketplace where... Hang on, back that up. Counter-cyclical, if I remember my schoolwork. So there's a cycle that goes one way. Are you saying things look like they're going the opposite way to your normal expectations? What we'd normally <laughs> see this time. So the, the market has a cycle where in, at the start of the year, most of the properties have sold and then you've got all the fresh listings that come on. And we then have a, a peak in the marketplace in terms of volume in autumn and then things start to drop off as we go through winter and they pick up significantly again through spring and then towards the end of the year. And then that same cycle repeats itself. The fact that during one of the high volume um, stock level periods of autumn, we had the lowest stock almost ever on record. We're now heading into winter where we'd ordinarily see um, lower stock from the months prior, but we're starting to see it, um, stock levels increase. Um, so that's what I mean by counter-cyclical. Hmm. So Claire, did you have a little spring in your step as you went about your work on the weekend? Did it feel like things were really starting to move? It did. It did. So yeah, it didn't feel like a traditional long weekend in that there were plenty of people out and about. We were queuing once again to get into some particular properties. So I did have a bit of a spring in my step. It was nice. (laughs) And who were you helping? Were you actually going out and helping people to buy homes on the weekend? Did you have any successes or was it still the wait continues? The wait continues. We were out just inspecting uh, and we are prepping now for some auctions that are coming up. So we were out inspecting properties and uh, assessing those with clients on the weekend. So you actually go with them, hold their hand really, and and help to prepare the strategy for the next few weeks. In this case, that is exactly what we were doing. Now, Ben, you're saying the atmosphere felt a little different to what it has in the last uh, few weeks. What were the clearance rates like? What were the stats telling us? So across the weekend, there were 124 reported auctions and we had a clearance rate of 70%, which is very strong. As I said last week, anything above 65% indicates a pretty strong market. We compare this to last year, there were 177 auctions at a clearance rate of 61%. So volume's down slightly, but our clearance rate is is actually up. Uh, And 831 private sales across Victoria as well, which is pretty healthy. 
Now, CoreLogic actually released a bit of data as well, and I know you like your numbers. So tell us what the upside or the downside was of that statistic that came out. Well, the doomsdays have been out over the last few months, haven't they, with reports that the market's dropping by 10, 15, or even up to 30%. Yeah, potentially. you've heard those comments, haven't you? And especially if you, you know, got a vested interest in a neighbourhood, you're like, oh, at least the prices have dropped by 30%. Not right. <laughs> so, so far, they've been proven to be wrong. CoreLogic have put out their official numbers and Melbourne, Melbourne's dwelling values dropped in May by 0.09%. Well, sorry, 0.9%. So, so un, not under even 1%. Okay. Yeah. Now, it's important to remember that there there is a lag time in terms of when properties are sold to when their official sale price and the statistics um, are gauged. So we, we do expect that over the course of the next few months that we will continue to see declines, but it won't be anywhere near the, the 15 or 20% spruced by um, some people in the media. Wow. So less than 1%. That's uh, got to make you a little more positive than <laughs> what the doomsdays may have you thinking. Yeah, we, we certainly do have a robust and resilient marketplace. Now, do you guys sit there when the Reserve Bank announces their uh, decision whether or not to increase interest rates, keep them on hold or even lower them? Are you sort of waiting with your smartphone to see what is going to happen? What did they decide? Well, ordinarily we are, but I think we're now in a a financial environment where things can't really go down too much further. (laughs) And over the last few drops, it's been shown that the, the, the drops haven't had the same impact on the market as we would normally expect. Um, so unsurprisingly, the RBA kept interest rates on hold for this month. Um, and they did actually put out a statement that suggested that they're not going to go up anytime soon. And a statement by the RBA uh, said, we will not increase the cash rate target until progress is made, uh, being made towards full employment. And it is confident that inflation will sustainably be within 2 to 3% in the target band. It is likely that the fiscal and monetary support will be required for some time. So a lot of banks at the moment are, are trying to get you to fix in your, your rate. And there's rates of you know, 2 point something, 2.18% I saw during the week. Um, you don't necessarily need to be rushing out and fixing them because they're unlikely to go up anytime soon. Claire, do you think that has a psychological impact on the people you're helping to buy a property that when they see the Reserve Bank saying, look, we are not going to jack these rates up until we're confident that employment is where it needs to be, do you feel that just gives them a sense of, oh, okay, that's one less thing we need to stress about? Yes, it does give that confidence to our clients as well. They'll be able to service their mortgage and loan um, over an extended period. So Yeah, because we have seen points in history where, you know, every quarter it seemed that there was a rise and you really were fixing rates because you just feared that if you didn't, wait another couple of times and you could be really uh, paying the price. Indeed. Now, there was a huge announcement last week for anyone who has a a keen eye on the real estate market, and that was the announcement of the Home Builder Scheme. So, guys, we're going to chat about that in a moment, but let's just have a little listen to our treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, as he announced this package. It is a demand-driven uh, program, but we're expecting between 25 and 30,000 um, new builds or significant renovations, uh, and it's uh, temporary. It's going to run till the end of the year from the day of announcement, namely right uh, right now, uh, and that's going to be important uh, to, to fill that void we see uh, in the economy uh, as a result of the pandemic. Okay, so Josh Frydenberg there, Treasurer, the man in charge of all the money. So... Obviously, focusing on that temporary thing, what were your feelings, Ben? Did you have any idea that this announcement was coming? Had you heard whispers? 
I think we fully expected that um, there would be some sort of boost for real estate and the, and the new housing sector was an obvious one. Um, it's a sector of, of the economy that really has suffered over the course of the last couple of years. Um, on the back of the um, Royal Commission into banking, um, where the, the, the boom period for building was 2016, 2017, and we saw a significant drop off on the back of the Royal Commission into banking because buyers couldn't get money to to purchase, developers couldn't get money to build. Um, so the volume of, of um, builds actually dropped off by about 30 to 35% during that time. So COVID-19 couldn't have hit at a worse time when they were starting to pick up again. Uh, and the HIA have recently put out their numbers to indicate that over April and May, they saw a further 23% drop off in new housing. So um, it, I think it's a great thing. It's a good boon for um, the housing sector, uh, for first home buyers and for, for um, new home buyers, I think will we'll have the greatest impact. So give us a sort of basic rundown on what the Treasurer announced. Like, how much cash are we talking? Can anyone get it? And are you going to have to jump through a whole lot of hoops? <laughs> so the new the Home Builder Scheme is a $25,000 grant for anyone looking at purchasing a new home, house and land, or potentially doing renovations to their existing home. So it's not for investors. It's only for home buyers. Um, but there are some parameters around um, who can get the grant and who can't. So it is means tested. As an individual, you need to have an income um, the 2018 to 2019 or um, tax returns thereafter, mm-hmm. um, so the most recent one also, of a, under 125000 for an individual or under 200000 for a couple. Um, so what that can then go to, if you're looking at purchasing a, a new house, then the house must be under 750000 Right. If you're looking at in, investing in some renovations on your home, you must spend at least $150,000 to $750,000. So it's a significant um, renovation that you must do. It's not just the kitchen, bathroom. Yeah, at first I thought, oh, fantastic, I can renovate my little cottage and then started to read some of the fine print. So for people who maybe haven't done a reno, you're talking a fairly large project here. So like 125 grand, Claire, that's not just fixing the back bathroom, a lick of paint and maybe a new Ikea kitchen, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> it's it's much more significant than that. Uh, it's likely to involve potentially taking off the back and uh, doing a big open plan or upstairs extension. So mm-hmm. that's likely what we're going to see. So we're looking at big, big remodelling of houses, not just small yeah, and so, that's when it comes to stimulating purchases to get into the marketplace. I can't see this being a reason why new buyers are going to get into something to try and renovate because what they're going to need to do is find the right property to purchase. They're going to need to settle on that. They're going to have to get plans and permits approved potentially for any extension or renovation that they want to do. They then need to appoint a builder by the 31st of December and that builder must commence work within three months afterwards. So it's unlikely to have a, a great impact in terms of renovations. Um, plus, they need to meet the means testing. So there's not a lot of people that have got that type of cash um, if they're earning $125,000 or under. Um, where we expect to have the most significant, as I said before, is in the new home build or house and land packages. And what sort of areas would you expect? I mean, you're not really going to get something in a more inner city area for that kind of money. So 
is it really targeting those properties out in the greenfields developments and the fringes of our city? It will be the the fringe suburbs and some of the regional areas that I think will have the, the greatest impact here, which is great to see. Um, first home buyers in particular um, have the benefits of the first home buyers grant and any um, stamp duty discounts. You can actually utilise um, that in conjunction with the home builder scheme. So that's a, a massive boost for them. Yeah, it's like doubling up. <laughs> yeah, if we look at an example of of a $500,000 house and land package, for example. So for first home buyers, they can use their first home buyers grant, their discounts on stamp duty or no stamp duty at all, plus the home builders scheme. For regional, the um, first home buyers grant is $20,000 and for anything Melbourne Metro is $10,000. So that's a big boost. If you're looking at buying into a regional area for $500,000, that's about fifty dollars or $60,000 worth of either benefits or um, discounts that you're getting on your purchase. We have talked though about the fact that you know we're, we're looking at suburbs in profile and we're working out why suburbs are more in demand. But Claire, would you worry that there would perhaps be people that will go, great, the money, let's jump on it, we'll move to Rockbank and perhaps not think about the lifestyle factors that will affect that decision? Yeah, that could be something that occurs and I think it's important that these to note that these are up and coming suburbs and the infrastructure is not always there there could be plans for it um, so you things like transport uh, it's important to see what's slated for that area to ensure that that will fit the lifestyle because they are as I say up and coming so you can trade off the you know fifty sixty thousand dollars you might save but if it doesn't fit in with your projected lifestyle. If you want to be close to work, it may not sort of work out in the end, Ben. No, that's right. What are you thinking the downsides could be, Ben? Well, I guess playing the devil's advocate, as we know the the upsides, but as we've pointed out, it's likely that a lot of these purchases will happen in fringe suburbs or some of the regional areas, which coincides with research done into mortgage stress. And the highest level of mortgage stress actually lies within these outer suburbs and fringe suburbs. So according to a news article put out by the ABC, around 37.5% of mortgage holders are under stress currently. Um, And they're expecting that to actually increase as we come out of the JobKeeper period and as mortgage repayments start to um, come back into effect later in the year. So that equates to 1.42 million households that are currently under stress. They're expecting of those 1.42, that is about 100,000 people that are at risk of defaulting on their mortgage. And it's it's in these outer suburbs where that have been affected the most. These are first home buyers that have gone in that have potentially bought new two to three years ago that have spent money on their property they, and they, they go out and they spend you know, money on furniture and TVs and fridges and all those types of things. Um, unfortunately, now they're potentially in a situation where one person has lost their job and, and another one's on limited hours. So for homeowners in these areas where... Um, new home buyers can come in and buy the, the brand new place just around the corner, it's likely to stifle their home value um, as more people tend to go and buy new. But I guess if you're you know, in a suburb, you're making your life there and this is part of your long-term plan, it doesn't matter what your house is worth tomorrow or the next day unless you're actually trying to sell it, does it? Yeah, that's right. If you can hold out through this time um, and over time property prices, you know, they, they go through ups and downs, but the trajectory is normally up um, and some of the pain that's been felt at the moment is likely um, to dissipate over the course of the next 12 months. So there are some pitfalls. There's a lot of upsides by the sound of it. And I guess 
could be a great excuse or reason to talk to people like yourselves, the advocates who can actually help you through this process, because you've just sort of spoken of a whole lot of different factors we need to take into account. It would be easier with someone holding your hand. (laughs) That's it. We like to make it easier for everyone. You're listening to Under the Hammer with Ben Reid and Claire Parks from Ian Reid Buyer and Vendor Advocates. And it's all thanks to Red Energy. If you're moving house, you can call your local energy retailer, Red Energy, on 131 806. Now, Claire, tell us about buying off the plan, because I'm assuming with the budgets we're talking about, if people are getting the grant, they are more likely to be looking at homes that are off the plan than getting an architect to design. So tell me a little bit about how that process works. Sure. So with relation to buying off the plan, so whether that is in an apartment complex or whether that's a house and land package, these all apply. So when you're purchasing something that's new, you will be paying a premium at the beginning. So uh, the developers are the ones that set the prices throughout either the building or throughout the area or suburb and you will pay a premium at the top of that. So we can find that between purchasing the property and the nine months to two, three years it takes to actually settle that property, the market has moved and we always like to think that it has moved upward but in some cases the value has decreased and the bank will actually no longer loan that money to that person. So we do come across what we would call distressed sales pre-settlement. So you haven't actually taken settlement of the property it's not working out financially, so you must sell before you've settled. Yes, so yeah. that is when we would need to try and look at a transfer of contract. So you'd actually be looking for someone to take over that contract because you're unable to settle due to not being able to get the funds. And Ben, do people have to be careful that they're getting the right plan, the actual, you know, the right space for their life? Yeah, definitely. So when, you, when you're buying off the plan, it's important that you you have a full understanding of exactly what it is that you are buying. Um, we we do often see with buyers that come to us after and they maybe unfortunately got themselves into a situation like this where they've purchased something a couple of years ago and they're coming up to a settlement period and, and their um, financial situation has changed and unfortunately they're un- unable to settle on that property. Um, there are some things that they thought they were getting into that they actually haven't purchased. So, um, oh, really, like they thought that it included certain furnishings or effects or finishes. Yeah, that it might be. It might say um, European appliances, and they think they're getting a Miele or a Bosch, but then it's some, <laughs> you know, no-name brand. Um, so, it's important that you you're really clear on the details, or, or even even the floor plans that the developers put out a floor plan and it doesn't have the actual sizes of the rooms. And when we look at it, wow. and we, yeah, and, and this, the room sizes are so small that they're almost uninhabitable. Um, I had a client that came to us a, a couple of weeks ago and he had a three-bedroom apartment that he bought as a, as a penthouse. And he bought it back in 2016 and that had been delayed and delayed. It was meant to settle in 2018, 19, and still hadn't settled. And this is what you were saying before, was that the peak of, of what we've seen in construction for the last few years? Yeah. Yeah. And it was a development where the developer had delays and it was coming up to what what's called the sunset clause, where there's a clause in the contract that either the developer or the purchaser can get out of it because it's taken so long and okay. had, had delays. So he was coming up to his sunset clause and said, I've bought this property. Can you please have a look at it and, and let me know whether you think I should settle on it or not? Is it good value or bad value? 
and it was a three-bedroom penthouse, right? The three-bedroom penthouse was only 72 square metres. So, so what does that compare? So like? <laughs> when we're looking at a, at a normal two-bedroom apartment, they're closer to 72 square metres. So these three beds were really crammed in. It had um, such a small living space that there's no way known that you could uh, accommodate three separate people, let alone three couples or, you know, kids in, in a place like this. So, um, and he just didn't understand exactly what he had purchased. Wow. He's thinking, I can get two of my mates to move in. They can pay the mortgage. I'll be... Just didn't work out. <laughs> no, did not work out. So there's a lot to consider before you buy off the plan, obviously. Is that something you can help people out with? Is that a different end of the market that you usually see? Definitely, yeah. If, you, if you've gotten yourself into a purchase um, off the plan and it hasn't gone um, to plan, um, yes. give us a call. We can certainly advise you on that. You're listening to Under the Hammer with Ben Reed and Claire Parks from Ian Reed Buyer and Vendor Advocates. My name is Jane Neild and we are here thanks to Red Energy. Moving is hard, but switching your electricity and gas is easy. Call Red Energy on 131 806. Now let's talk selling a tenanted property. You've got your investment property, you're doing the sums, you're working out that perhaps things are going to change with how you invest your money or perhaps you've been forced to make some changes. Is it very common for people to try and sell a property that is being lived in by a tenant? I know several people who've done it and it's worked out really well. I know quite a few people who've done it and they've ended up, well, sorry, that uh, the guarantee that we got given we wouldn't be kicked out didn't eventuate. So is it a common thing, Ben? Yeah, it is. And there, there'll be a few landlords at the moment that, um, given the rise in vacancy rates and, and some of the mortgage stress that's out there, will be tossing up whether they hold on to their rental property or whether they maybe look to sell it um, during this, this marketplace. The first thing to consider is um, the the rental tenancy period that, that the, is currently um, entered into. Longer tenancy periods unfortunately will adversely affect the desirability and the property price. If a, if we can't sell the home to an owner-occupier because it's got 10 months or 12 months on the lease, that will adversely affect the sale price and the desirability. So that really then narrows it down to people who are buying purely to invest? Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing would, would be work out how long that tenancy period is. If it is coming up to a to a month-on-month um, lease agreement, then that's probably the ideal time to be doing it. And then work out whether you're best to have the tenants in there or to potentially vacate the property to be able to present it better. Okay. So you want the tenants out, you want their crappy old lounge suite out so you can style it, Claire? <laughs> yes. Well, if it's it, presentation is important, which we've touched on in previous episodes. So depending on how the tenants are presenting it, it may be the preferred way to go about it. So what if you've got great tenants who have been there for years? I mean, I've, my partner and I have been in our rental for over five years. You know, we're not planning on going anywhere, but probably if the landlords wanted to sell, they'd want to do some sprucing up. Can you negotiate with tenants? Can you say, look, we'd love to get in and paint. We'd really like to do that bathroom wall that, you know, is it something that you can negotiate or is it really just like get them out and then we're free to do what we want? There's certainly room for negotiation with tenants. It's just about being mindful of, as Ben touched on, what is that lease period? Are they on a month to month or are they on a fixed term contract? And then speaking with the tenants and to understand what the best thing is to do. And Ben, would it be the case though that tenants were a bonus? Like if you, if, if it's a certain type of property where it's most likely going to be an investor buying it, 
Like I'd be thinking, oh, great, you've got long-term tenants. They can stay happy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the way that we always approach it whenever we're selling a tenant a property is to is to go and catch up with the tenant, get an understanding as to what their plans are, whether they do want to stay long-term or whether they may be thinking of vacating in the short to mid-term anyway. And if they are hoping to, to stay on or, or do want to stay on at least during the course of the campaign, is sitting down with them to say, look, right, we all need to be on the same page here. We don't want to disrupt your livability in the property during this time, but the, the owner um, does need to sell the property. So let's try and work together. Mm. Normally, we'd recommend to our clients to um, give the tenant uh, a rent reduction during that time on the proviso that they do work with the agent to allow open for inspections, to present the property, um, that they're happy with photos being taken and for it to be advertised um, and that they're going to be out during certain times. So it's about working together um, and making sure that everyone wins. Yeah, it's a kind of a tricky situation, isn't it? It's uh, people, people's lives <laughs> that you're poking a camera into or bringing people into a home. And I guess COVID changed all of the inspection protocols, but are they gradually returning to normal now? As we know, we have come off a, a really unusual period and particularly for tenants, um, even more so because you know there were certain health risks involved in having people um, occupy a property which you don't own, but you, you're living in. Um, so the REIV did actually recommend to all of its members that any property that is tenanted and if the tenants did not wish to have the property open for inspection or to have um, buyers um, come through the home, that the agent should not push um, during this period of time. So, um, And all the members... Um, acted accordingly. So the Institute have done a great job in managing this. Yeah, I was going to say from an outsider's perspective, you know, not working in the in the industry myself, but reading a lot of the uh, press about it, it seems to be that everyone thinks the industry did a really great job in attacking the issue of COVID-19 as soon as it arose and making some pretty harsh decisions and quick snap decisions that would protect people like tenants. So I think by and large, it, it it seems as though the feedback has been uh, really positive. Yeah, I think it's been handled exceptionally well by 99% of the people in the industry. Now, I think we're going to run out of time to our little suburb in focus. So perhaps we'll have to leave that to next week. But Ben, Uber Elevate has caught my attention on our little run down here. I am not up to date with this announcement. Please tell me, number one, what is Uber Elevate? And why is Melbourne on the top of the press release? <laughs> well, do yourself a favour and Google Uber Elevate and it'll blow your mind. We're, we're talking Jetsons you know, with flying cars you know, going through the air. <laughs> so it was a, not a highly publicised um, fact that Melbourne last year um, were, had secured the rights to Uber Elevate. And Uber Elevate, as, as one of the first launch cities, along with LA and Dallas, Uber Elevate is quite literally... Uber um, drones, people carrying you know drones. That so small aircraft that don't, small, small aircraft, yeah. and and Uber um, are looking to make um, air travel just as um, cost effective in the long term as as um, on the ground. So wow. we, when we're looking at areas for investment or for for living, it's the it's the lifestyle areas down by the beach and it's in the country that imagine 10, 15, 20 years from now you're able to jump in your Uber Air and you're 15 minutes from the city from, say, Geelong or Torquay to Melbourne uh, rather than an hour and a half commute. So um, it will make a significant change um, in desirability for um, 
lifestyle locations over the course of the next couple oh, of decades. Absolutely massive. So Melbourne, Dallas and LA, like that's a fairly great list to get on. It's a small sample. So that's incredible. The implications for Melbourne are huge. Certainly is. Yeah. And it's a great job by our state government to to work with a company like Uber to secure this um, because it is really innovative. Wow. So there's so many things happening despite the fact that, you know, there are some aspects of doom and gloom in the current market post-COVID-19. But things like that just make you think, we have no idea how quickly the face of real estate or our lives could change. And a lot of people working more from home than from the office throw in something like Uber Elevate and you could really see a huge shift in the way we live in a city like Melbourne. And driverless cars. I mean, imagine you're living in Mornington, for example, and you can just jump in your driverless car or your Uber Elevate and you're working while you're going into work. So um, it's a real game changer. That's what a train is meant to be for, Ben. <laughs> Have you ever tried working on a train? Uh, yes, next, and it's ne- difficult. Next to the old guy snoring. and <laughs> Well, you're trying to force your laptop just that extra inch further so you can actually read the screen. But look, I'm sure that there are people who happily, especially from regional areas, do commute and work. But yeah, I like where you're going with that. I think it's very exciting times. And guys, so if people are interested in finding out more about what you do at Ian Reid Buyer and Vendor Advocates, Claire, how can we get hold of you if we're looking for a home? You can contact me at claire at ianreid.com.au. And Ben, if we're wanting to sell or discuss some of the options we've talked about in the show today. You can call the office 9430 0000 um, or get me at ben at au. And next week, we're going to talk about some of the suburbs in focus that last week we spoke about Northcote. There's another couple I'd like to uh, chat with you about some of these these areas that might be the up and coming or the little gems that might be overlooked. So looking forward to that. And thank you so much for your company here on Under the Hammer. I'm Jane Neild. I've been with Ben Reid and Claire Parks from Ian Reid Buyer and Vendor Advocates. And we've been doing it all thanks to Red Energy. Moving is hard, but switching your electricity and gas is easy. Call Red Energy on 131 806. Thanks for listening to Under the Hammer for Red Energy. Moving house, call local energy retailer Red Energy. If you enjoyed Under the Hammer, then check out the other podcasts in the Red Energy Lifestyle Series. For the foodie, enjoy Tuesday with Ash Pollard. Really, the people around here truly lived farm to table. And so that's kind of how I've been cooking. And I know it's trendy now, but it was necessity back then. Moving house, call local energy retailer Red Energy. Thanks for listening to Under the Hammer, part of Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series. Available on your favourite podcast platform and the SEN app.